The very funny, Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney has a new show, everyone. It is called John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that will stream live on Netflix live during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. Yes, it is a comically unconventional show that will feature special guests. I'm very excited for this. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A. debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time only on Netflix. Angela, we're always making lists of the places we want to go, and I've got another one for you. Williamsburg, Virginia. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, an outdoor enthusiast, a thrill seeker, a history buff, or just friends looking for a good happy hour, you'll find what you came for. There is lots of good food and drink to be found in Williamsburg. There's contemporary cuisine. There's local craft breweries. I heard there's a winery. Wineries? Yes. You could go for a girls' weekend, a romantic couples trip, or a family vacation. So for your next vacation, visit Williamsburg. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the ultimate Office rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hi, everybody. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Safety Training. Yeah. It is Season 3, Episode 19, written by BJ Novak. And directed by Harold Ramis. Yes. And Jenna, I mean, I'm going to talk about this as we go, but on the DVD commentary for this episode, there is BJ, Mindy, and Harold Ramis. And it was so wonderful to see him. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go listen to that. I bet that was amazing. It's a great one. It really is. And I'm going to sprinkle in some, some little nuggets from it. All right. I love it. Let's start with a summary. It is safety training day in the office. Michael and Dwight are on a mission to illuminate the dangers of the workplace. Meanwhile, Andy returns to the office after his five weeks of anger management training, and he is determined to make a fresh start with all of the Dunder Mifflin employees. It is a doozy, Jenna. I have no fast facts today. What? I have no fast facts. Should I go buy a lottery ticket? Like what's happening in the universe? (laughs) Are things going to be a big shift? What's going on? First of all, I have a very big thing we have to acknowledge in lieu of fast facts. Oh, what? Lady, today is the one-year birthday of Office Ladies. Get out! Yes, yes, lady. Our very first episode aired one year ago this week. Oh, my God. How I, I, I'm so bad about putting things in calendars. This is a big deal. This is our one-year birthday. It's our one-year birthday. (gasps) Happy birthday to us office ladies, boss ladies podcast. Oh, my gosh. And you guys, thank you for being part of our office ladies journey for one whole year. Yes. Oh, wait. Yes. Sam is tapping on the glass. Sam. I know why. Yes. I wanted to say uh, congratulations for a year. I got you guys these about a year ago when it came up on the podcast and have been waiting patiently for a reason for you guys to open them. So enjoy. So Angela, we should tell people you're in the studio. Yes. And Sam just handed you a wrapped gift. Yes. I got one at my house. I'm holding mine. Okay. So we're going to open it together at the same time. Open it together. Sam, here we go. go. I cannot believe you bought this a year ago. 
It is in. What is it? Well, it's in some Christmas wrapping paper, which I like. I do, too. It's got little dogs and sweaters and things. Angela, congrats on one full year of Office Ladies. Aw, Sam. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so disturbing. No. Sam. Oh, my God. Sam. Sam. (laughs) Where did you find these? You guys, it's our face as a mask. Amazon. There's now 14 available. Of each. Oh, my because Lord. Because you bought yeah. one. Oh, my gosh. I guess I have to poke out the yeah, eyes. Yeah, in a very creepy way, you have to poke the eyes out oh, to wear them Oh, I don't poke first. my eyes out. Oh, well, I, have to... I, just, I just poked my own eyes out. Oh, you did? Okay, I just I poked did. my own eyes out. It's really creepy. Oh, yeah. Woo-hoo! Are you smiling behind your mask, Angela? Because I'm I am smiling. smiling, but I noticed You can't my... tell. Thank you, Sam. Oh, my gosh, Sam. I love it so much. Well, congrats on a year, guys. Wow. Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. That was so fun. Well, that, I know it wasn't a fast fact, but that was pretty great. Yeah. That was like an office lady's big fact. Yeah. Well, I thought that since it's our birthday, in lieu of fast facts, I thought we could just go to our mailbag and answer some frequently asked questions this week. Oh, I love that. Here is a fan question from Eve and Maria Barbic. They said, each time there is a conference room meeting, is everyone given an assigned seat or can you sit where you want? We were always given an assigned seat. We would walk into the conference room and they would usually have a little sticky note on each chair with our name on it. Yeah. And we knew that was our spot because they would plan it out. They would plan the camera blocking and the camera angles and how they were going to catch all of our reactions according to who had dialogue and who didn't. Yeah. So they they planned all that out before we even walked in the room. Yeah. Sometimes someone's dialogue would affect someone else and you would need to see their reaction immediately after the the line of dialogue. So they had that all mapped out. And sometimes if you were really big and pregnant, you were in the back row, just going to (laughs) say. Yes. So we could hide that big old belly. That's right. We're getting close to that, Ange. To my belly? Yeah, that's next season. I know. That's going to be crazy for me. I can't wait to hear those stories. I'm just going to probably drive you guys all crazy because I'm going to be like, and this one, um, Isabel was really kicking. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. We're going to get it all down on record. What else you got? All right. This question comes from Raisha Patterson. Can you explain the decision of the audience not hearing the questions posed by the documentary crew? So like in our talking heads, right? Yeah. She asked, did Greg Daniels make this decision or was this taken from the BBC version? Well, I mean, I have my thoughts. My thoughts are usually in a documentary, the camera crew wants to um, disappear. They want to really capture people's lives and they try not to um, like interfere too much. And so I, I, I would guess, and I think you probably have the answer, that they wanted it that way. They wanted it to really feel like a documentary. Yeah, I reached out to Greg, Ange, and you are exactly right. He said they made the decision because he felt like the audience would be more invested and more connected to our characters if you didn't hear anyone asking the questions, if your mind wasn't thinking about this crew of people filming them. Yeah. But he said they did wonder about this all the time. They wondered about what are the circumstances when they might reveal someone from the crew. And I remember 
at least on set, Angela, I don't know if you remember this, but there was this big debate about in the final season or ever, if we reveal who the documentarian is Mm -hmm. who's been making this, who should it be? And I remember the cast saying that it should either be Greg Daniels or Ken Quapis. Do you remember this conversation? I do. I do. And I, I, I remember I wanted that. I wanted to see the camera crew. But also, Jenna, I don't know what it's like for you when you watch actual documentaries. I love them. And if I ever hear the voice of like the documentarian, like off camera, I'm, I'm instantly fascinated. I'm like, okay, I want to see this person. Yeah. You want to see a shot of their face. Yeah. Right. You're like, I, I've heard a voice. Yeah. Well, Greg told me that there was also some debate that maybe it should be Randall Einhorn or Ricky Gervais. Oh. That like at the very end, it would be revealed that (laughs) Ricky Gervais was our documentarian. I would like to go one step further and say, what if it was David Brent? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What if David Brent had come (laughs) from the UK to make a documentary in America (laughs) like his own? Well, I guess there was a problem with this idea because Greg told me that there are a few times that you do hear the voice for the documentarian. And do you know whose voice it is? Ken Quapis. Dave Rogers. Oh, no way. Right? And when Greg told me that, I couldn't even think of any times that we heard the voice. Did he so loop guys, it in? Like, when did he? Yeah. And I don't know why or when. So... I, I We haven't gotten to it, right? Like, we haven't heard a documentarian yet so far. Yeah. So it must be coming up. We're going to have to track it. Oh, wow. I want to track that. These are good. These are good questions. I thought so, too. All right. Are you ready for another one? Yeah. All right. This question we got a lot. Oh. This was definitely a most frequently asked. Okay. We got this question from Julianne K., Luke D., Cade Smith, Alana Boylan, and two Emilys. Okay. The first one is Emily Howard, and the second is my own sister, Emily, who texted me this question. (laughs) She has been catching up on our podcast, Angela, Mm -hmm. and it's so funny because I'll just suddenly get a text where she's like, oh, my God, you told people I threw up in Ellie's bushes? I know. (laughs) I know. I know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're just catching that. Yeah, that happened a while ago. Yeah. My sister, Janet, listens, and so does my stepson, Jack. And um, remember when we did Laundry and Betrayal? Yes. Jack came out of his bedroom with his headphones on and was like, Angela! (laughs) I was like, oops, sorry. Our kids don't hear us talk like that. What did Emily ask? Okay, they all want to know, why do we have multiple directors on the show instead of just one? So he can prep the other one, right? I mean... So I actually called my sister because I was like, I don't know how to put this in a text. (laughs) And I explained it like this. I said, you know, it takes us one week to shoot an episode, but the director works the week prior preparing it and the week after editing it. So the director's job is three weeks long. So you couldn't have someone direct every single episode, it would just be impossible. But she was like, well, I don't know, because sometimes I watch these streaming shows and they have the same director the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, that's because on those streaming shows, a lot of times they've written, it's a short number of scripts. It's six scripts or eight scripts and they write them all. And then they kind of shoot them like one big long movie. That's true. And they do 
all their prep beforehand and they do all their editing after. And they'll shoot out of order too. They'll, like a movie, they will wrap out locations. So it'll be like, we're going to shoot every single scene we have at the high school this week. Yeah. And next week, we're going to shoot every scene at the house. And um, they shoot like a movie. But on our show, we shot each episode like its own little mini movie. Mm -hmm. So that's why. And we also did like 24 instead of six. Exactly. And they would be writing while we were shooting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's why we have one director per episode and they switch. Yeah. So now, Angela, this one comes to you. This is from Christina Kuzland. Okay. And she said this. Angela, can you say something in Indonesian on your podcast? Because my daughter, Alana, is studying the language in school. She is a big fan of the show and thought it was so cool that the person who played her favorite office character had grown up in Indonesia. All right, Alani, how about we say hi? How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Okay, Jenna, we'll do it together. Yes. So how are you is apa kabar? Apa kabar? Kabarabaik. Terima kasih. I love it. (laughs) There you go. That's just a little simple phrase. But I mean, I loved growing up in Indonesia. I had such a wonderful childhood there, and I have very fond memories. So thank you for asking that question. I get really excited if I ever run into anyone that can speak Indonesian. Like years ago, I was at the mall, (laughs) and um, there was a couple over um, by a bunch of shoes, and and they were talking about the shoes, and um. The man said, Wadu mahal sakali. And what he was saying was like, these are really expensive. And I got so excited. And I was like, oh, the vajada bahasa Indonesia. Like, I was like, you guys speak Indonesian. And they looked at me like, what? And then we, oh, and then we spoke that. Indonesian. I, get, I really geek out. I get really excited. Angela, you speak three languages because you also speak Spanish. Un poco. Yo, yo entiendo más que hablar, ¿sí? I feel like I understand it better than I can speak it. Yeah. But I really admire this about you. I wish that I spoke another language fluently and I don't. Well, you know, during this time, I've been doing Duolingo. I love Duolingo. And I've Which been, language? I've been just brushing up on Spanish because I, I feel mm. like I could be close, you know, closer to being fluent in Spanish. And Indonesian is great, but I don't get a lot of chance to use it here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get a lot of opportunities to speak it. Well, thank you to Christina and Alani. We really liked that question. Thanks, guys. Terima kasih. So, Ange, you know that we get a lot of mail from people telling us how much The Office and this podcast is helping to get them through tough times. Yeah. And your letters and emails mean a lot to us. And we thought we would share a few here today. Yes. So John Petrie wrote in to tell us just this beautiful email about how he and his daughter Kayla have bonded while listening to Office Ladies and what that has meant to him. And John, your letter really touched our hearts. Aw. Well, Luke Foote wrote in about his daughter, Sophia, who is having some health issues. And she's a big fan of the show, and we wanted to give her a little shout-out. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Sophia. We just want to say thanks for listening, and we're so glad you love the show, and we're sending you some big hugs. Yes. And we also want to say hello to Julia in Mount Prospect, Illinois, Julia, we hope that you get better soon so you can get home to your little kiddos. Yeah. And guys, I know that we've said this before, but 
We really love doing this podcast each week. It is our absolute pleasure to rewatch this with you. We love your messages. I just, I feel so grateful to be connected in this way. And doing this show has just been a really special thing for us, too. I mean, yeah, I I get emotional to even talk about what this time and doing this with you, Jenna, and sharing with with everyone that's listening in each week and and just having a community with all of you and um we just love you guys. It's it it feeds us as much as it feeds you. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of messages and that uh, people tell us like, "Oh, I'm listening to you while I drive to work and I'm an essential worker and it it really calms me down before my job or you know, I'm listening while I'm home. It's, you know, I'm doing the laundry and I'm listening to you and um it's funny, Ange, because that's when I listen to our episodes, you know, when we get ready to do our edit notes, mm-hmm. I fold the laundry and listen to us too. So I <laughs> I think I know literally what you're talking about. I do the same thing. Oh, lady, I've listened to us while picking up dog poop. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't. <laughs> I like have my headphones on <laughs> listening to us, just like whatever it is I'm doing. But I, I love to hear everyone's stories so much. And yeah, it just it just all of it warms my heart, you know? And it is tough times. It is. It is, it is tough times. Uh, but we're going to get through it together. We are. And we thank you guys for helping us get through it. Well, listen, why don't we take a break? Okay. And then we will come back with some safety training. All right. So this winter... We went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can use Squarespace to create a website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to time, all in one place. Well, we've told you before that we use Squarespace for our Office Ladies website, and It is so user-friendly, so easy to use. We are not tech people, and we could not be happier with our experience. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash officeladies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, we all carry around different stressors. Some are big, some are small. I know I keep mine kind of bottled up. And it can start to affect us. Well, therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You can finally get a chance to talk about all those stressors. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OfficeLadies today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash OfficeLadies. Right, so we start this episode with Andy coming back into the office. He's back, and he's new and improved. He's going to go by the name Drew, and he yep. walks up to Pam. He's got a box full of stuff. Jenna, two things I need to discuss right out of the gate. All right. Number one, at four seconds, we have a new plant at no. reception. No, yeah. that's, we just had a new plan. It doesn't matter. Pam. Pam throws them out every week, clearly. <laughs> what is her problem? It's even in a new pot. It's a ceramic pot. It's kind of like a rainbow, like trimmed in like a purple. What's happening? I don't know, Angela, but I want to say, you know, there's a lot of things that we've been noticing that then if you deep dive on the internet, you see lots of people have noticed. I have never once seen this plant issue come up. Well, this is exclusive to you and this podcast. I know this sounds crazy, but I had this thought that I wanted to screen grab every single plant at front reception and make collage art out of it. <laughs> yeah. And then frame it and I'll hang it in my office. Oh, OK. Wait, here's here's um this week's. Ready? Oh, it's uh, this one is in like a rainbow striped pot. I know. It's very festive. I know. You'll never see it again. Say goodbye to it. <laughs> and, All right. What was then, your other thing? Well, my other thing is, you know, Andy slash Drew, his box of stuff. What is wrapped in tinfoil? It looks like a, is it a plate of food? What is it? Yes, I saw that as well. And I was like, who brings their lunch in like that? Is that his lunch? Yeah, I I don't know. I was very curious about it. You know, when Andy has his talking head and he's sort of explaining that he's going to go by a new name, he's got a new attitude, and he's got a new way to deal with the grumpies. Mm -hmm. Did you notice how much wall there was in his talking head? No, I guess I was. There's like, it's all wall. There's almost no window. And then when it cuts to Dwight's talking head, where he's talking about how he has to shun Andy. Yeah. In Dwight's talking head, it's a lot of window and very little wall. It was just something I noticed. Is it because Dwight has a future at this company, but Andy doesn't? Maybe Andy hit a wall? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of wall. That's all I'm saying. Well, I do notice that Andy always, he's like one of these people that has little little phrases for everything, like his nifty gifties and the grumpies. And a lot of nicknames. Well, we had a fan question from Don Mackley. Okay. Who wrote in to say, there are so many times Andy mentions his old nicknames and they're almost always different. How many nicknames were mentioned over the course of the show? Oh, my Lord. That's a good question. I looked it up in the show Bible. Okay. And here is what it says. Here they are. Ready? Mm -hmm. Nard Dog, Boner Champ, <laughs> King Butt, Iceman, Puke. Ace, Buzz, those were while he was in college. Okay. And then in this episode, he asks everyone to be called Drew. And in the next episode, he gives himself the nickname Will Do. So these are just nicknames for Andy, for himself. Just Andy. Right, because it's not like his friends like Broccoli Rob and all those guys. 
Yes, that's right. These are just names that Andy has referred to himself as being. Boner champ. So there you go. Wow. So that's nine. I counted nine. Nine nicknames. What What were nicknames you had growing up? What about your friends? Yeah. Just no. They called me Jenna. <laughs> oh my gosh. What? Um. Well, let's see. In college. Hambone. Well, that was high school. Hambone. I was also called Bones because I was really skinny. Hambone. Bones. <laughs> I was in college. Uh, my roommate's name was also Angela. So they called me Kinsey. And then that became Kins. Tiny Kins. But I had a perm and I would wear a ponytail kind of like on top of my head. So a few people started calling me Koosh Ball. Okay. Koosh Ball, Hambone. Mm-hmm. Bones. Tiny Kins. A lot of nicknames. Mm-hmm. You're very Andy-esque in this way. I gave myself a nickname when I was on a charity softball team for Children's Mercy Hospital. Please tell me what it is. The Kenzenator. Wow. <laughs> that was on my jersey. Oh, my God. I'm Andy. What's happening? I don't know. I mean, people called me Fisher. They called me by my last name. But it was never like, it never felt like an official nickname. Right. Well, my friend told me once, listen to this. What? Tell me if this hits you. What? A friend of mine went and did this very intense, like, therapy week at this therapy center. Great. Right? This is where you're supposed to, like, dig into any of your childhood traumas oh, and God. really unpack all your baggage. Sounds horrible. Right? <laughs> Super intense. What he told me was that when you get there, you fill out a form and you are asked, what is the nickname that your parents called you when you were a child? And that is the name they refer to you as the entire week. And it's supposed to, I think, try to put you like back into a space where you'll start unpacking all your baggage. I don't want to go because I don't want to fill out any forms. I'm done with forms. Well, we know that about you. I don't want to fill out your form. I don't want to do your questionnaire. I'm surprised you have a passport. Because that was some real intense form filling out. I know. And that I got into college. So many forms. So many forms. <laughs> They're not for you. I did it when I had to do it. I'm done now. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. This intense therapy place that lost you at forms. Yeah. Too many forms. Pass. Okay. Well, I have a beef with Jim. I think I know what it is. Andy is really earnestly... Doing his process that he went through from anger management, he's trying to turn things around. He tells Jim he's going to go by Drew now. And Jim goes, no, I'm not going to call you that. And I was like, what a jerk. What a jerk. Yeah. Why not? What does it cost you to call this guy Drew? He's just messing with him to mess with him. Yeah. Why are you being an instigator with a person who's struggling to you know, turn over a new leaf. Yeah. There is a runner in the deleted scenes of Andy going through different scenarios with everyone in the office where he's tested and he keeps being earnest and trying to get through them. Like he brought in cookies and they were really crappy and people were talking about how crappy the cookies were. And they're like, oh, who brought them in? And Andy was like, "Uh me. But he didn't get mad. He was just like working through it. So yeah, I thought Jim was a little bit of a jerk right there. I agree. Oh, and Jenna, I want to go back to Dwight's talking head. Speaking of forms to fill out about your childhood, what would he have written? He was shunned from ages four to six because he didn't save the excess oil from a tuna can? I mean, he said it's like slapping someone with silence. Yeesh. Yeah. Well, let's get in to the main plot of this episode now. 
Let's do it. Michael has a talking head where he explains that today is safety training day. And uh, it's going to be led by Toby. He really hopes Toby isn't going to mess it up. Right. But first, they're all going to go down to the warehouse and listen to Daryl's presentation about safety in the warehouse. It's going to be zoppity. It's going to be zoppity. You know, Dwight is like, all right, let's get down to the warehouse, right? Everyone's like filing down the hallway. There is a deleted scene that I loved. It's just a quick snippet. But these are the things I loved about our show. Dwight is saying, everybody, buddy up. (laughs) Like, why is he saying that? And I'm walking down the hallway, and Meredith is like a step or two behind me. And Dwight's like, everyone, buddy up. And Angela Martin grabs Meredith's hand, and Meredith is like, don't hold my freaking hand. (laughs) And it's like three seconds, and I just loved it. I love that. It's so funny. It's like you're not evacuating from the building. You're just going to the warehouse. I know, but whatever Dwight is doing, I'm like, I'm on board. Okay, buddy up. Well, when we get down to the warehouse, these are some of my favorite scenes of all time. (laughs) Led by Craig Robinson. Oh, man, I love it when Craig has the floor. I love it when he's in charge and Michael has to listen to him. He is just trying to deliver information that is important. Yes. And he has to deal with Michael. You know... It reminds me very much of watching my first graders Zoom classes. Oh, trying to keep people on task. Yes. The teacher is like, what is three plus two? And everyone's like, I got a new puppy. It's loud outside. My mom likes wine. It's, and the teacher is like, what is three plus two? <laughs> that is, this is what it reminds me of. Daryl trying to talk to all of us. About this forklift and this bailer. Yeah. You know, um, Harold Ramis talked about Craig and about how brilliant of an actor he thought he was and how he felt like Craig was a naturalistic actor. Like it was so natural, this dialogue coming out of him that you you just wholeheartedly believe him. It never seems scripted. Right. Like everything about his cadence, like all of it, it's so, it is, it's amazing. Yeah. I was sort of studying that. That's so funny that Harold Ramis said that because I was studying that. I was like, how does he make it seem so natural? I, he's, I mean, Craig is really brilliant, guys. He's super talented. Craig, come be on the podcast. I reached out to him. We've traded some messages. It's going to happen. We just have to figure out dates. Let's lock it up, Craig. Let's lock it up. Well, as Daryl is explaining the dangers of the bailer, mm-hmm. for example, Michael is making a ton of jokes Uh, Andy's trying to suck up to Dwight, and this is when people start making bets, right? Yes, this is the other storyline of the whole episode. So Daryl is about to say, do you know how many people lose an arm in a bailer each year? Kevin and Jim decide to bet on what they think the answer is. Yes, exactly. It happens around four minutes. I want to share with you that Mindy said something that really made me laugh in the DVD commentary. She said that in the writer's room, they were talking about this bailer, and they they really saw it as a scary big piece of machinery, like maybe it had blades or something. And when they got it, she said it just looked like a big telephone booth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that moved well, really slowly. <laughs> Well, I talked to Kent Sabornak about this baler, and he said that it was a real working baler. Yeah, he, we had yeah. an ex- 
actual safety meeting. Remember, Jenna? When we went into the warehouse to shoot, our second AD held a safety meeting that was like, guys, we have a forklift. We have a baler. Do not touch anything. Yeah, these are real machines. He said that he called the manufacturer Olympic Wire and Equipment and they donated a baler because they got like free product placement. (laughs) So that we got a free baler. Well, I want to say that there is this little part at the end of the baler conversation where it's going on and on, right? Yeah. And Daryl is like, so do you understand? And Michael is like, yes, only on the rarest occasion. (laughs) Daryl is like, on no occasions, on no occasions. I had to look that up in the script, and I will tell you that was not in the script. I think that was improvised. I feel like I remember that, too, being there, and we just let Steve and Craig go back just and keep forth. going. Just go back and forth. And, I, you know, it brought me back, Angela. I just loved shooting this episode. And part of it was because, if you notice, we're all in these big group scenes almost all the time. Yeah. This was an episode of big group scenes. And not just that, we also got to work with Patrice and Craig and Carly. We had all the warehouse folks, too. We were all together all the time. And it it really is rare. I mean, it happened in the basketball episode. It happened in this one, some Christmas parties and things like that. But it was rare. And we, we would all just have a great time. And I liked it, too, because it was such a simple idea. Mm-hmm. It's just safety training day. Oh, no. That's it. And it goes off the rails and we're all in, like all of us are now on this can't roller get coaster. Work done. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to say before we leave the scene, I absolutely love that Michael cannot remember Madge's name. He can't. No. He calls her Patch, Pudge. He cannot yeah. remember her name. My mom cannot remember a name that is just slightly different, just slightly different. Uh-huh. Here's an example. When I was in college, my roommate's boyfriend's name was Bart, B-A-R-T, Bart. And the day I met him, my mom was with me. And the minute he was like, hi, I'm Bart. I thought, nope, not going to happen. Nope, it's never going to get that one. What did she call him? For years, for years, she called him Mart. How's Mart? Mart. I'm like, mom, it's Bart. What'd I say? You said Mart. I did? Yes, you did. Wow. Who would name their child Mart? I don't know. I don't know. But like who would name their kid Patch or Padge or Pudge? It's like, you're so right. By the way, I apologize in advance for our listener named Mart. I would also like to apologize to anyone named Patch or Pudge. Well, now we're going to go upstairs, Angela. Toby is going to teach his safety meeting. For whatever reason, Michael has forced everyone from the warehouse to come to this presentation. Paul Lieberstein knocks this out of the park. As great as Daryl was in the warehouse, Paul is as Toby in the office. Yes. His list of things, guys, to be prepared for. Are you ready for them? Toby's office safety training. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Poor circulation. Computer screen eye strain. And you might want to keep a sweater or a cardigan in case it gets drafty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael is so frustrated. <laughs> he can't take None it. None of these things he can't, are as exciting as getting your arm cut off in a baler. It. He can't take it. At five minutes, 52 seconds, Ryan says, what about a long sleeve tee? Yeah. Here's a great story about that. 
According to BJ, there was a huge joke debate about that line. What about a long sleeve tee? And at 2 a.m. in the writer's room, they were debating it. Mike Schur said, no, this is a ridiculous line. And Greg was all for it. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny that they spent time debating this line. I know. I know. I love this line. Me too. And it gets called back later when we're asked to go downstairs. I know. I love it. Well, maybe that's why BJ delivered it so wryly (laughs) is because it got in. He knew the backstory of this debate in the writer's room over that line. We had a fan question about another line in this little bit. Okay. Um, Sarah Bell, Dagny Albano, and Katie Boyd all asked when Michael's reading the safety booklet and he says office life causes a sedimentary lifestyle. (laughs) Was that improv or was that in the script? That was not in the script. You're kidding. There's a little bit of banter there between Michael and Toby that looked like it veered a little bit off script, like they were having a little fun with it. Oh, I love that. So Michael has had it. He takes over. He's like, Toby, I'm going to do the safety training And he wants to show the warehouse people that working in an office is just as dangerous. And he says, oh, there's seasonal affective disorder. Like dim light can lead to depression. And the warehouse people, they're out. They're like, yeah, dim light's a bitch. You live a little sweet nerfy life, sitting on your biscuit, never having to risk it. And Michael is, he's just so bummed out. He, He really wanted to prove to these guys that, Things get just as crazy up in the office. It's such a weird thing to take a stand on. I know. It's such a it's such a Michael Scott thing to become so invested in this. He just wants to be cool, Jenna. He's fascinated by the warehouse guys. Oh, he yeah. really is. And this tracks from previous episodes. And he especially wants them to think he's cool. Yeah, he wants to win their favor. Yeah. Well, now Kevin, Jim, Oscar, and Karen are all gathered around Pam's desk. And for whatever reason, they are trying to guess how many jelly beans are in her little dispenser. Yeah, it's now taken over. This whole sort of betting from the warehouse, it's how they're going to pass their day. Jim wins. Jim thought 50. Karen went with 51. Mm -hmm. Turns out there were 49. Yeah. And then at 8 minutes, 39 seconds, Kevin says, it's not fair because Jim has spent countless hours talking to Pam at front reception. I mean, hours and hours. Yeah. Ooh, awkward. I would like you guys to know that I kept Pam's candy dispenser when we wrapped. What? You're just now telling us this? One year we've been doing this podcast. (laughs) One year we've talked about what did you take from set? Yeah. Where is it? I have it. It's in my office. It's a little... Plastic. It's so simple. And it has a little like silver scooper. And it has a little lid you lift up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you keep Yeah, can- and people never use the silver scooper. What they would do is they would just open it and shake it into their hand, which, by the way, was just as sanitary and effective. But I always use the silver scooper because I'm a big fan of tiny cutlery. You're also a big fan of desserts that come in a very small size. With a very tiny spoon. Yeah. You'd love that. I like eating with tiny cutlery. Do you follow Tiny Kitchen? Yes, from Tastemade. Yes. Where they make a teeny tiny meal in a teeny tiny kitchen. Yes. It's mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing. I did a really fun project with Tastemade with my husband, Josh, and we got to go tour the tiny kitchen. Jenna, 
Are you there? I can't. Are you speak. okay? I, I can't. I speak. thought you froze. <laughs> I didn't freeze. I can't believe that you got to see the tiny kitchen in person. Oh my god, it's so cool! It's so Is cool. It so tiny. It's I so mean, tiny. And the lady that does the little it, bitty spatula, the little she like uh-huh. makes the little egg on the little bay pan. Yes, and and you know the oven. They put a little tiny um, like candle, a little tea. What are they called? Tea tea lights. What are they called? Yeah, like a tea candle. Tea candle. Tea light. They they do. They really do cook things on the stove pot, and they use a little candle. You need to go see it. You'll love it. You guys, it. it's so cute. Look up the one where they make a little hamburger. Oh. All right. Where were we? I don't know. We got completely lost talking about tiny cutlery and tiny kitchens. I know where we are. Michael has called Pam into her office to ask her opinion on the seriousness of depression versus the threat of working with a bailer. Yeah. Yeah. I got very excited about this conversation, Jenna, because I thought it was a fantastic, very subtle callback to the convict because Pam says, you know what? The warehouse guys had visuals on their side. Oh my gosh. Light bulb for Michael. If you could look at his face, he's okay. At at nine minutes, 17 seconds, look at Steve's face as Michael when he's like, yeah, you're so right. Jenna, that's all that was missing. That's all that was that's missing. All that, yeah. Remember, we learned in the convict from the deleted scene that Hoot the Owl came to his school. And in that moment, he realized if you want people to hear you, you have to have a costume. You have to have some props. You have to have visual aids. Well, Michael is off and running now. Now he calls Dwight into his office. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we need ways to illustrate the imminent threat of depression faced by office workers. And, okay, I am pretty sure all of this was either improv or, like, given to them on the day. Because this scene in the script is about four lines long. But here, when Dwight suggests a quilt, (laughs) and Michael says a depression quilt... (laughs) Michael is like, there's no time to sew one. That is the greatest response. It's not like, no, that's a bad idea. It's like, yes, if only we had time. (laughs) That would be perfect. Um, I think this was a lot of improv because there's also extra in the deleted scenes. They go on and on. Oh, is it so good? It's fun. It's really fun. And Michael has Dwight so worked up. Like Dwight is so immediately on board. Yes. I love the line. When he says, when Michael says, you know what our killer is, and Michael says depression oh. and Dwight says wolves. Yes. That made me laugh out loud. Oh, my gosh. Those two together are so brilliant. Well, now we go to the parking lot where Michael is bouncing on a trampoline. He, he had Dwight reach out to the giant big boy toy store. I looked up. There isn't one, just so you know. Oh, okay. That was made up. <laughs> Well, if what I love is the detail in the background of the box and all the packaging that's in the background. Oh, that's a great detail. Yeah. So this came in a box and they had to assemble it. He's going to go up on the roof mm-hmm. and he's going to have Dwight call everyone outside. Mm-hmm. And then he is going to pretend to jump off the roof as a way of illustrating what can happen if your depression goes unchecked. And it was a way to visually teach everyone. That's right. And after he jumps off the roof, he's going to take a few extra bounces just for fun. 
before he walks around the corner to reveal that he is alive, that he's fine. Mm -hmm. This is this is Michael's big plan. This is going to show everyone what could go wrong. I have a little nugget here from Harold Ramos. I'm going to share it with you. So they talked about in the commentary that originally the idea was that everyone went up on the roof to talk Michael out of this. Everyone. Oh. Yeah. And Harold was like, I don't think it really sells how serious, like what he's contemplating. I think if he's on the roof and he's shouting down to everyone in the parking lot and you have that whip camera panning from the roof back to him and down and up, you really get the sense of what a horrible idea this is. Yeah. That was Harold. Harold was like, no, guys, everyone else should be in the parking lot. Only Michael on the roof. I just thought that was really great. Well, I know that they probably wanted us up on the roof because technically it would be easier to shoot with sound and camera. It was it was such a technically difficult episode. And I remember that. Yeah. I remember how difficult it was for them to get angles on all of us and him and the bright sun and the sound. Kudos to our crew because it doesn't seem like it was difficult, but it was actually really technically difficult. Yeah. And to Steve and the guys that were on the roof, just the limited crew up there with him, they were up on that roof for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Well, now back in the office, the whole betting game is still going. People are placing bets on how long it's going to take Kelly to explain to Ryan how Netflix works. They're betting like how many times she's going to say the word awesome and and what movie she mentions and how long it takes. It's It's heated. Yes. We find out that Kelly talked for two minutes and 42 seconds. Mm -hmm. She said the word awesome 12 times and mentioned six romantic comedies. And never had a clue as people were like putting money on the table next to Ryan. Well, we had a fan question from Elizabeth Myers who says, old tech alert. Can you guys explain this Netflix scene? What is a cue? (gasps) What is a cue? You guys. Yes. I didn't even Netflix. think of that. You remember old Netflix, right, Angela? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd put it in your queue. Like it was like a list of what you were going to watch. Because you got a DVD in the mail. Yeah. It didn't just come up on your TV. So you would have to go to the Netflix website and pick what DVDs you want them to send to you. And you could pick the order. And then when you were done watching it, you put it in this like prepaid postage envelope and you sent it back And whenever they got the one that you sent back, they would send you the next one in your queue. Yeah, it was like a mail-in blockbuster, basically. It was revolutionary because the idea was you didn't have to drive to the video store anymore to rent your videos. The problem was, though, sometimes you'd be like waiting for your next thing to come up in your queue. Yeah. So, lady, this whole Netflix queue thing, it reminded me of how my parents got the DVD mail Netflix service yeah. for like ever, for like ever. They would not switch to the streaming one. Why? Why wouldn't they switch? I don't know, but they did the DVD thing forever and I texted them about it. I had to know and their responses were so funny and my mom said I could share them. Okay. So you All said, right. what did you, wait, what did you text them? I texted, hey guys, how long ago did you switch from the old Netflix service of getting physical DVDs in the mail to getting the streaming service? Okay. They texted me back separately. Okay. 
Okay. My dad texted me back. Don't remember quite a while. Okay. The end. My mom texted back. Dad's mowing the lawn, but I think I can help you. (laughs) Maybe that's why his text was so brief. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. It made sense. (laughs) Okay. And then she said, a while back, I was having lunch with a friend and she told me that we could get Netflix, the cable channel for $9.95 a month. We were paying that just to get two movies a month in the mail. So that's when we signed up and dropped our other plan. It's funny because I had wanted to get Netflix on cable, but dad kept telling me it was too expensive. I mean, you know how dad is about money. (laughs) So we've had Netflix streaming for, I'd say, three years now. But dad does not like it when you have to pay extra for certain movies. I really want to watch the movie Fatima, but you have to pay for it and he won't do it. But I will once again win this battle. You know how it works. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is so layered. That is so jam-packed with information. First of all, I love that she's like, dad is mowing. <laughs> then I love that she's like, a few, a while back I was having lunch. Because you're like, wait, what? where are we going? What's happening? I know. I know. But yes. So I guess three years, only three <laughs> years ago, my parents were still getting DVDs in the mail. And I remember because I would ask them, You know, I would be like how they were in love with Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey. And I'd be like, what season are you on? And they're like, well, we're waiting for the next season. It hasn't come yet. Yes, it's right there. Just subscribe. It's right there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They're waiting for their DVD. That is that is amazing. All right. Should we take a break and then come back and talk about those watermelons on the roof? Yes. And I have some good info from Kentopedia about the watermelons. Well, I want to hear it. All right. Good. We'll be right back. Today's episode of Office Ladies is brought to you by Captain Crunch. Who said that kids get to have all the breakfast time fun? Right? Break away from the ordinary with Cap'n Crunch and bring back the spirit of adventure to your mornings. You know, life can be stressful, but a tasty bowl of Cap'n Crunch is an escape from the morning monotony. Enjoy bold flavors like original Cap'n Crunch, Crunch Berries, of course, right? Oops, all berries and peanut butter. Plus, the crunch you love is now available in cinnamon. Even in a sea of milk, The crunch of Cap'n Crunch is epic. Join the crew for your next breakfast time crunch venture by Cap'n Crunch's new Cinnamon Crunch, now at a retailer near you. And learn more at cap'ncrunch.com. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
indeed.com slash office ladies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so we are back. Dwight and Michael are on the roof, and they are testing sort of an experiment to see how far Michael has to jump out to land on the trampoline. And they've got some watermelons, and they're giving it a go. So, lady, I reached out to Kentopedia because I had two questions. Okay. Number one, I wanted to know, how did Steve and Rain get up on the roof? And who all was up there with them? Did they have to ride that thing that you and John rode? Yes, they had to use that big scissor lift mm-hmm. and everyone had to wear a safety harness. But here was some something new that Kent added this season. What? Kent hired some stunt guys to rig safety cable up on the roof of the stage so that if there was ever a time where the crew had to be up there to do lighting, mm-hmm. they would be able to wear a safety harness and clip themselves onto a safety cable. So for this scene... Steve and Rain and Randall, who was our cinematographer, they all had safety harnesses underneath their costumes, and they were clipped onto the safety cable as well. So that also probably involved the wardrobe department, because she would have had to have made sure their suits were big enough to go over the safety harness. Yes. I also had a question about the watermelons. Oh, okay. And I was not alone. Lauren Brightwell, Megan Keel, Ciara Begley, Phoebe Bono, and Maddie McKee all wanted to know how many watermelons were used for the trampoline test scene. How many? Kent told me that we purchased 12 watermelons, Mm -hmm. but around take 10, Kent said to Harold Ramis, I think we're going to need to CGI the watermelon thing because none of the watermelons that he was throwing off the roof were coming anywhere close to hitting the car. Yeah, they talk about it in the commentary that they they weren't getting it until take number 11. Oh, Kent said it was the last watermelon, that it was take 12. Oh, Harold Did they Ra- say it was? Harold Ramis said it was take number 11. <laughs> oh, well, so guys, it was either take 11 or 12. I guess by some miracle, it landed on the trampoline and it hit the car perfectly. And I feel like Steve and Rain's expression, like is real because they were like, oh, my God, we finally did it. (laughs) Well, do you know what this reminded me of, Angela? This reminded me of those Dude Perfect guys. Do you know Dude Perfect? No. What's Dude Perfect? Okay. So this is my son is obsessed with Dude Perfect. Is this like a basketball? Like you have to shoot a basketball from a crazy place? Yes, they are these guys. They're from Texas and they became famous by doing all of these elaborate trick shots. Yes. On YouTube. But I mean, they're so much bigger now. They've got like a live tour now and, you know, yada, yada. But yes, they would have done something like this. They would have thrown a watermelon off of a building onto a trampoline and tried to hit something with it. And Dwight and Michael's reaction just 100% reminded me of these Dude Perfect videos that I've been watching with my son. Yes, I have seen those videos. I didn't know the guy's name or whatever they go by. But yeah, our kids love that stuff. It also made me think that maybe we need to collaborate with Dude Perfect on some sort of a frolfing thing. So it's like... Off the tree, yeah. Hit the trash can, yeah. Frolfing trick shots with office ladies and dude, perfect. <laughs> it's a it's a collaboration we've all been waiting for. <laughs> and wiffle ball. <laughs> did you? How did you say it just now? Wiffle. You said it in the middle. 
Wiffle ball. Wiffle ball. You're rubbing off on me. I know. I love it. Two things before we leave the whole watermelon off the roof moment, Jenna. Okay. Number one, all of these shots up here, when they look out over to the trampoline, you can see a great view of the impound lot across the street with all the trains. I noticed it too. Yeah. You get a real slice of where we were, guys. Those were our neighbors when we filmed at Chandler Valley Studios. Yeah. And one last thing from this watermelon moment, because I just thought it was so sweet. BJ in the commentary said that this was one of those moments, Jenna. It reminded me of when you talk about being on the roof, eating that grilled cheese sandwich on that warm, Mm -hmm. beautiful night, right? It was like that for BJ. He said, I had this moment where I was like, wait a second, I'm on a roof with Steve Carell and Rain Wilson and Harold Ramis were throwing watermelons and I'm getting paid. Yes. I thought that was so sweet. That's what made me think of the dude perfect thing because I was like, these are like a bunch of dudes up on a roof throwing watermelons down, just having a great time, but oh, they're at work. Yeah. Like that was their job that day. I mean, how fun. So fun. Well, I have some more news about this scene before we move on. Okay. The car that they hit was a rental. Uh, It was a Chrysler 300 picture car. Guess how much money it cost them to do this gag? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. How much? They dented the roof and they broke the electric moonroof of the car. From that one watermelon? Yeah, it cost $6,500 to fix it. Dang. Yeah. All right, should we move back inside? Yes, because I texted Creed Bratton about this next scene. The betting is continuing. Everyone is watching Creed eat his apple. Creed doesn't know. They're all standing behind him. He sets the apple down. Jim walks by, puts a potato where the apple was. Will Creed notice he's now eating a potato and not an apple? Well, we got mail about this, Angela. Bianca H., Kayla O., Cassidy Price, Deanna Horn, and Marilee S. all asked, did Creed really take a bite out of a potato? Uh, yeah. I texted him. This is what What did he say? This is what he said. He wrote, I definitely bit right into that potato, and it wasn't half bad. Oh! So there you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, Angela, it makes sense to me because in French, the word for apple is pomme, and the word for potato is pomme de terre, which means apple of the earth or apple of the ground. I'm sorry. What is your logic? It it makes sense to you that Creed would eat a potato and not know it wasn't an apple because it's the French word is pomme de terre? Yeah. Okay. Um, Potato in Indonesian is kintang. What's Apple. Apple is apel. Oh. Well, the French have related the apple and the potato in their language. Okay. And so perhaps, perhaps they, I don't know, they're on to something. Perhaps Creed would do well in France. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's right. But as long as he doesn't try to pick them up himself at a market. And thump them. Before we leave the whole Creed betting scene... At 12 minutes, 38 seconds, you can see Angela sitting at her desk, watching everyone and judging. Oh. She's not participating, guys. She's not going to gamble. She's not going to bet on things. 
No. I remember I had a whole conversation with Harold about it. Like, where would Angela be in the bullpen? Would she be watching? You know, and she's reluctantly glancing over to see what the hubbub is about, but she will not participate. Well, Angela is a little bit of a busybody in the sense that she likes to know the goings on. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean she's participating. No, she needs to know just enough to judge you, but not enough to be judged. Correct. (laughs) Um, Well, now we get to a scene that is really fun. Dwight has to enlist Andy's help in getting a bouncy castle, which means he has to momentarily unshun him. Which leads to a great shun, unshun bit. It's actually unshun, reshun. That's what he yes. says. Unshun, reshun. And yes. on the commentary, they talked about this this little bit, and they said that Gene and Lee came up with the whole shun thing, and that Rain is who physicalized it. Rain doing that hand thing up and down was just Rain playing around. I loved that. I know it really sold it. It really did. This like weird, mm-hmm. like fake window thing that he was doing. I know. I know. So childish. Okay. So now we go back up on the roof. They have this bouncy house castle. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, this is going to be so much better than the trampoline. But then Dwight's like, do you want to test it? And Michael's like, no, no, these tests are going horrible. (laughs) I won't do it if I keep, if we keep doing these tests. Yes. And he asked Dwight to kind of psych him up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, Rain starts doing this amazing musical like thing. It's like the thing that he does when he's pumping himself up in the stairwell before a big sales call it's or the, before a yeah, big interview. It's the Dwight air guitar. Yes. Oh, it's so good. I watched it like three times. Yeah. I loved at the end when he started to like get his like do things with his mouth. It was kind of gross when he was like, <laughs> like Yeah. Well, I noticed something, Angela. It was very windy in this scene. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. And I their ties were like just whipping all around. Did you see that? Yeah. Well, I decided to pause at 14 minutes, 30 seconds and read the label on Steve's tie. Oh, you're crazy and I love it. What'd you find? It looks like it was a tie made by Gianfranco Ruffini, mm-hmm. who was an Italian clothing designer. Okay. And the reason I became sort of obsessed with this was because I recently had a conversation with Carrie Bennett, our wardrobe designer. Yeah. And she told me about how when she was designing the show, she wanted every man in the office to have a very specific tie story. She wrote a tie story for every man. And she told me that this was because... You know, when you're designing a show where there's a bunch of men working in an office, it's really hard to differentiate them. It's just a bunch of people in suits and ties. So she told me that when she was doing the original design for the show, she got really worried that all the men were going to look alike because they were all just wearing suits or shirts and ties, right? Right. So by doing this tie story, this was her answer. Her tie story for Michael Scott was that Michael buys all of his suits at JCPenney and they come with a matching tie. So he buys all his clothing as a full kit. And this tie is part of a suit kit. I looked it up. And I think this is like Michael's designer. This is Michael's stuff. That's his go-to guy at JCPenney's. Oh, I'm sorry. Jacques Penney, as my Aunt Brenda used to say. 
Oh, is that how she says JC <laughs> Yeah, she'd be like, are we going to go to Tarjay and then Jacques Penney? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, I don't think you can get these guys' suits anymore because when I was trying to find them online, the only place I could find them was Etsy and eBay, people reselling them. If you want a Michael Scott tie. Incidentally, something I thought was interesting, the tie maker's son is named Remo Ruffini, and he's a billionaire. What's Remo doing? What? The, how do you get to be a billionaire? He is also a fashion designer, and he is the owner of this huge fashion company. In Italy. In Italy. There you go. Yeah. There, you, there go. you go. All because they were filming on a windy day. I went down that rabbit hole. I love that. I love that. I love that all the all the men have their tie story. You certainly see that, I feel like, with Andy, because he's so New England, preppy. I feel like his suit looks very different from the other fellas. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, and we can we can discuss more tie stories as they become relevant in future episodes. I hope we do. I'm going to hold you to that. You and Carrie. Carrie should send in some audio clips. Oh, yes. I'll have her do that. Okay. Or maybe we should have her on for a deep dive because she's has fascinating stories. Oh, I would love that. I would yeah. love it. Okay. Um. Well, now Dwight bursts into the office. Right. He tells everyone, come outside, come outside. And, you know, Michael is suffering from depression and, and you need to come out here. And and um, everyone begins to ask him, you know, are we going to need a coat? And he's like, no, the, yeah. the weather, it's no, it's it's a gorgeous day out. Come on, come on. And, and then he has a line at 15, 15 minutes, one second that I absolutely love because he's like, Dwight, he's being Dwight. Come on, come on. And then he answers Stanley and he goes, no, no, it, it really is. It's it's very nice. <laughs> that was so rain. It was so rain. It was so good. I loved it, too. I loved it. So now everyone gets up and they go outside to see what's happening with Michael. Yeah. And we had a fan question from Caitlin Morabito and Brinkley Hope, who said, when the office workers go down to watch Michael demonstrate depression, some people are in the elevator and other people are coming down the stairs, but they arrive at the same time. Oh. So I guess, like, they noticed it doesn't matter if you took the stairs or the elevator. And they said, we imagine this is because they all couldn't fit in the elevator at the same time, especially because it's not a real elevator. But the question is, how would they decide who was on the elevator and who was coming down the stairs? And which did we prefer, waiting in the elevator or being crammed in the stairwell for the start of the scene? I always liked the stairwell because that elevator is small and it always made me feel a little claustrophobic. Same. I would always, if given the choice, I would vote stairs. But with the stairs, you would have to go up quite a bit and come down. So you did have to go up and down up because you'd have to tuck around behind the stair, you know, behind the corner. So now we're in the parking lot and everyone has gathered. Michael is up on the roof. And this is when... Michael and Dwight kind of start their show. Oh, yeah. They have it very rehearsed. Um, before we get into that, Jenna, I want you to know that Harold said that there was so much from all of this parking lot that he they had to cut, that he had a longer version that he just loved that really got everyone's reactions to what was happening. And he said in the DVD commentary, he was like, I hope that original longer cut that we had that you guys will all get to see it someday. And 
Is it in the deleted scenes? No. I think there's even stuff. There's some in the deleted scenes, but I think there's more that didn't even make the deleted scenes. Wow. I know. I know. Well, we had a fan question from Tess Shornick. Okay. This is what she wrote. After 53 hours of labor and an emergency C-section that included general anesthesia, I woke up holding my firstborn daughter, and the first thing I said was, Dwight, you ignorant slut. Come on. <laughs> she Come said, on. She said this was because I woke up to hearing my husband tell the nurse about how she should watch the office. So I have to know, where did that line come from? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love this line. This line for you guys rewatching is at 15 minutes, 37 seconds. Well, this was based on a skit from Saturday Night Live with Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. They would do this parody of the 60 minutes point counterpoint. And Jane Curtin played a liberal and Dan Aykroyd played a conservative and what the way it would go is like Jane Curtin, she would present her side first, and then Dan Aykroyd would lead off with Jane, you ignorant slut. And then he would give his counterpoint and Jane Curtin would say, Dan, you pompous ass. And this was this bit. So this is Michael once again stealing from Saturday Night Live for his little show. And also Saturday Night Live in a time when Harold Ramis knew all those folks. You have to wonder, yes. right? Right. I love that. I love that. I've seen that phrase on so many things. I've seen it on throw pillows, on socks, <laughs> keychains, yes. baseball hats. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a classic. So Michael and Dwight, yes, they're doing sort of this performance, you know? They've got it. Clearly, they have rehearsed this. And... Everyone starts talking in the parking lot, like, is this real? Is it not real? It probably definitely is not real. And they start taking bets on it. Kevin gets everyone going. Yeah, Kevin says, if someone gives you 10,000 to one odds on anything, you take it. And uh, if John Mellencamp ever wins an Oscar, Kevin's going to be a very rich dude. You go, Kev. You go, Kev. Well, my favorite part of this, Angela, is when... Michael realizes that the warehouse guys aren't there. Those are the ones he wants to impress the most. Yeah, he doesn't care about doing this no. for the, his co-workers upstairs. The whole point of this, and he gets so frustrated with Dwight, is that the warehouse guys see that he's on the roof. Yes. So he gets Dwight to bring all the warehouse folks out, and they start the whole thing over again. And this is when you realize it is 100% scripted. He says, Dwight, you ignorant slut, again. Yeah, Dwight does his air quotes with his fingers again. Yes, exactly. And Jim has this great talking head where he's like, the first performance was a little rough, but, you know, they hit their stride. And I, he can't wait to bring his parents tomorrow for the matinee. Yeah. It's just been great. Then we see Creed coming out of the bushes. He's zipping up his pants. Like, I guess he's just gone pee, which is so on brand for Creed that he just yeah. went over to the bushes to take a whiz with his co-workers right there. Anyway, he says, guys, what's up with the bouncy castle? And they're like, what? They all run over. And this is the moment where Jim and Pam are like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's it's part of this bit. He's going to do it. Well, lady, I remember shooting the scene because it is not in the script. 
that Creed comes around the corner zipping up his pants. And we came up with that on the day. We thought it would be really funny that Creed was taking a leak. And that's how he discovers. And that's how he discovers it. Because it was like, well, why is Creed around the corner? And we're like, in the moment, you realize, like, how, oh, wait, how do we justify that Creed went behind the bushes? Yeah. And that, I, I, we thought that was so funny. We thought that was so Creed. So I loved that. And then I also loved that Pam tells Michael that he has to come down because she has a present for him. And he never doesn't believe her. Well, you know, Jenna, I found it interesting because when I was watching this again, all I could think of is where's Karen? Like Jim and Pam are sort of together in this moment. They're figuring out what Michael's up to and sort of brainstorming how to help him. And where is Karen? Right? Well, you are not the only person who was curious about that, Angela. We got mail on that. Oh, yeah? Kira Bailey, Rachel Ross, Maggie June, Sarah Hamilton, and Megan Womble all asked, where's Karen? Yeah. Why is Jim only standing with Pam and talking with Pam? And then we don't see Karen again until the end of the episode when she's on the other side of Jim standing behind him. Yeah. I went to the script, Ange, and there is a whole plot for Karen that is not in this episode. You know how Karen earlier in the episode, she has that line where she says, wow, I do not know the people in this office like I thought I did. Yeah, because she's losing all the bets. She's betting wrong. And she has a talking head where she's like, I am like, I'm getting wiped clean here on these bets. I don't know everyone. Yes. So they had this whole plot for her where she's down in the parking lot and she's on a mission to get to know people better. So she's starting conversations with different people. She's got a little side conversation with Oscar. So I think that's why she's not standing by Jim. Mm -hmm. But those scenes are not in the deleted scenes, right? They are not. I watched the deleted scenes and that Karen runner is not in it. Well, one thing I did find that I thought was really fascinating, and I loved this, I'll share it with you guys, and it's about the Jim Pam parking lot sort of story. In the DVD commentary, BJ said he talked to Greg, and Greg was talking to him about Jim and Pam in in this scene. And he said, I sort of see them as a couple that had been together for a long time, and they'd had a child together. And that child is Michael. And, you know, they're no longer together. They've moved on. But like oftentimes divorced couples who have kids, when there's a crisis with their child, they work together to help their child. And they sort of have this shorthand with one another when it comes to their child. And Karen would not have known any of that history or Michael the way they know Michael. And so it made sense that Jim and Pam would be working together to try to make sure that Michael doesn't do something really stupid. And and if you think about it in that context, it makes perfect sense. And also the fact that Pam is like, I have a present for you. That's very parent mode, right? Come inside. I've got a treat for you. Stop doing what you're doing. I love hearing what BJ's thought process was when he was writing these scenes, because something I really appreciated about them was that Pam and Jim were not laughing about this. No, this was not a joke to them. They when they realized what Michael was doing, they come together very seriously to help him. This was also was not flirty. 
This was not a flirty moment, but instead really highlighted their bond. Yeah. And just the fact that instantly the two of them knew what Michael was up to. And and it's like everything else didn't matter. It didn't matter that they had hurt feelings over Roy, over Karen, over everything that has happened between the two of them. None of that mattered. All that mattered was getting Michael off of the roof safely. And that's what happens. That. That's what that's what happens in real life. You put everything aside for your child and you work together. And and I loved that little piece of backstory between Greg and BJ. Me too. Well, it's ultimately kind of Daryl that gets Michael to come down. I mean, Daryl has this great line where he's like, no one is braver than you. You have to wake up every day and be you, Michael. It's so brave. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I mean, like, it's like the dig that Michael doesn't understand. And he just takes it so earnestly, like, thank you. And Daryl's like, you brave heart. And Michael's like, I brave heart. Yeah. And that's what got him off the roof. Daryl, Daryl believing in him, got him off the roof. And the episode ends with Michael having a talking head where he says, you know, sometimes you have to do crazy things to show the danger in an office, but he saved a life today and it was his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he asked, like, is he a hero? Is he a hero? He can't really say, but yes. Well, and then we have this tag, which I love. It's Stanley. He walks out to the parking lot and it was his car that they bashed up. (laughs) Like Stanley needs an excuse to hate Michael Moore. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Now, I do have to point out, Angela, Mm -hmm. that this watermelon all over the car was clearly visible through all of the scenes while Michael was on the roof. And we had a lot of people write in and say, how did Stanley not notice this? And I can only say because what was happening on the roof was so compelling that we were all just looking up the whole time and maybe that's why we didn't see this watermelon well i wonder if that's why the deleted scene which it's it's not even on the dvds but there was a scene where mindy saw a busted up watermelon and like she thought it was a corpse and she freaked out oh there's all these deleted scenes guys from this episode many that aren't even on the dvd speaking of deleted scenes before we wrap up this episode Jenna, we did get some fan questions about a scene I was in that was deleted. Courtney Klein, Alice Chan, and Maria Malik said, Angela keys Andy's car. Why does she do it? Is it because she despises him that much for getting Dwight temporarily fired? How many takes did it require? And did they need to fix the car each time? So, yes, this is in the deleted scenes on the DVD. Um, Listen, my character holds a grudge. And Andy messed with Dwight. Angela is not going to forget it. She doesn't care if he's been to anger management. He's he's on her list now, lady. He's on her list. So in the way we did this scene, it was really great. Phil Shea gave me um, like a keychain set of keys. But the way I held it, there was this one um, sort of piece that stuck out. And it was basically a, a wax stick. Mm. And when I walk around and I do that whole line. I'm really doing that, but I'm basically drawing that line on with this sort of special wax stick. And it looks like I'm keying the car, but I'm literally just drawing a line around it. Whoa. Yeah. I would have never 
imagine. Isn't that That's cool? What, yeah. And then they would just erase it. And then they just takes. wipe it off. <gasps> oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. And I and it obviously, you know, it's a spy shot. It, it wasn't close up. So it was really easy to sort of cheat that and sell it. Wow. I know. Well, guys, that was safety training. Yes. And, you know, not to be Debbie Downer here, but um, I just know how scary being that depressed can be. And I know this episode, we talk a little bit about depression and, but it is real and it can really, it can really take hold of you. And I just would want anyone listening out there to know that you're not alone and that you are loved. And um, my nephew suffered from depression and um, he, we lost him to it. Um, And I'm so sorry. I, I didn't anticipate I'd get this emotional, but I just want you to know you're not alone and that people love you and that you are valued. And if you are suffering from depression, there are places that you can call if you feel like you cannot talk about it with your family or friends. And guys, we have the phone number for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention and we want to take a minute and give that to you, Angela. Yes, it's 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text TALK to 741-741. And that's the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. And, you know, this happened a few years ago in my family. And I what I wouldn't give to be able to talk to my nephew and tell him how much we love him. And um, anyway, I'm, I, I, I didn't mean this was a hard episode for you to watch. It was, like. it was a hard episode. It was, even though there was so many wonderful things in this episode, just wonderful, funny, hilarious moments. It was a little difficult for me, and I just wanted you guys to all know that you're loved. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Okay, love you guys. Love you. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our producer is Cody Fisher. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE. OFFICE.